Hello and welcome to the latest on Lightboard Transition. I'm Laura Talvitia and this is PwC's podcast series about the challenges and opportunities when transitioning away from LIBOR. It's March 2022 and the world of no new LIBOR is in full speed. At the end of 2021, most LIBOR settings were published for their final time. So it's a good time to reflect on the achievements and talk about what, what more is still required. In this episode, I have two excellent guests from the UK and US. Toby Williams is a technical specialist in benchmarks policy at the UK's Financial Conduct Authority. And Tom Whiff chairs the US Alternative Reference Rates Committee and is also a vice chairman of institutional securities at Morgan Stanley. Welcome both. If we start from the top, uh, for someone who has been following LIBOR transition closely for the last couple of years, the year-end 2021 felt pretty quiet, almost too quiet. Is no news good news, or was it calm on the surface but paddling underneath? Topi, if we start from the UK first. Thanks, Laura. Um, LIBOR was always something we wanted to phase out in an orderly way, working closely alongside industry. Um, the fact that we entered 2022, as you mentioned, um, with an almost unnoticeable reaction to the world suggests the bulk of the industry's endeavours worked very well. 24 of the 35 LIBOR settings were able to cease for good, and six sterling and yen settings are now being published using a changed methodology, synthetic LIBOR, for the relatively small number of contracts that weren't able to transition in time. So. I think a big thank you is in order for all market participants. Your support was integral to a smooth delivery of these milestones. I will highlight a few aspects that were pivotal to achieving this. Let's start with the clearinghouse conversion processes in Q4 last year. These covered Swiss franc, euro, Japanese yen and sterling LIBOR. These conversions saw some of the largest single-day amendments to financial contracts throughout the transition process and effectively removed all cleared LIBOR derivative exposure in these currencies. Reports by participants suggest that for most firms, operational success rates were upwards of 95%, with only minor manual interventions needed for the remainder. As we moved into 2022, Again, without issue, we saw ISDA's fallback protocol trigger another seamless reduction in the stock of legacy LIBOR-linked contracts. For those who haven't signed already, which hopefully isn't many, you can still do so to make sure your US dollar contracts have a robust backup plan. While these processes are a helpful safety belt, we've urged market participants not to simply rely on them. For instance, in Sterling, the outstanding cleared LIBOR swap contracts at LCH halved over 2021, reducing the operational burden of the December conversion for all involved. We'd encourage this increasing intensity of transition efforts between 2020 and 2021 to be mirrored in a similarly strong final push to complete active transition in US dollars. Thanks, um, Toby. And then how about in the US, Tom? Most USD LIBOR settings continue to be published until mid-23, but with no new use. 
So in the U.S., we've uh, we've uh, entered a unique period where we've got uh, regulatory guidance of no new LIBOR creation, uh, but LIBOR will continue to be published until June of 2023. So uh, we can't, uh, you know, we can't overstate the importance of the international cooperation that we've had through this. So as we go through this period, uh, both in the U.S. and many other jurisdictions, there are prohibitions on creating new contracts. So this 18 months is designed primarily for roll down of existing contracts. Contracts to you know to reduce the amount of uh, of contracts that are going to have to go through fallbacks. So as we follow uh, what we've seen certainly in the UK and other jurisdictions, the uh, the idea and the and the paths that have already been blazed will give us I think real guidance in terms of where we land uh, at the end, in June of 2023. In the meantime, you know market participants are just working through the uh, the the idea of no new LIBOR rolling down to June of 2023, and all that work's going to happen. So we're early days on this, and it is a bit of a unique period in the U.S., but certainly we're going to be following the lead that we've seen here in the U.K. and other jurisdictions that have actually sunsetted. Considering how widely LIBOR was used in the market, have any particular issues been uncovered since the year end? I think as we always expected, we were going to end up with some of these edge cases, things that were going to be a little bit more difficult. Uh, you know, certainly as we began to go through uh, turnovers at year end, we saw some of the uh, dealer polls or things that we assumed we would have to get to actually happen. And we're learning, uh, and I think in many cases validating things that we would have expected in those turnovers. Uh, you know, we've seen, you know, quite a bit of activity as people begin to assess what no new LIBOR means. And I think there's been continued regulatory clarity, which has been extremely helpful to the market uh, to ensure that banks in the U.S. and around the world uh, have a clear understanding of what new LIBOR is and, uh, and what is involved in some of the regulatory carve-outs that have been announced. So we're really early days on that. Uh, and as we think about it, you know, our work has really been, again, following the lead, making sure that the communications, and we have this 18-month uh, window where we have an opportunity in dollar LIBOR to actually have those communications, to do those turnovers, to engage with clients clients and counterparties to ensure uh, that we have much, much less going through fallbacks as we approach June 2023. Tom, from your point of view, do you think the new rules are overall well understood? Yeah, I think they are. We've seen uh, quite a bit uh, of, of granularity now come from, uh, from the official sector on this around the world. And so from our perspective, from the initial announcements, which were, were pretty specific on no new LIBOR, we've now seen further clarifications on, on what really falls into that category. So, you know, certainly in the U.S., across uh, all of our supervisors and in and, and, and many, many other jurisdictions around the world, the clarity of what no new LIBOR means is, is extremely uh, direct, and I think the more we learn as we go through, again, we're early days on this, we're only a few months into this no new LIBOR period, uh, but I think more and more uh, we're seeing just a, a general consensus in the market and a general consensus from the official sector on what constitutes new and what constitutes old. Then let's move to uh, synthetic LIBOR. Uh, in the UK, synthetic LIBOR was the topic of the year in 2021. It was a welcome support for market participants, but do we know what the actual usage is globally today? That's a good question and one that's very much on our minds. It's still early days in our data, data gathering and over the coming weeks and months we will continue um, to work with firms to gather the information. Um, so I can't be too definitive yet but I can say that the anecdotal intel we've heard so far paints an encouraging picture with relatively low usage of synthetic LIBOR. This time last year, we estimated there were in excess of 30 trillion sterling of contracts linked to sterling LIBOR and that 
less than um, two percent of the total sterling LIBOR legacy stock would remain. If we fast forward to today, um, and we're still collecting data from firms, but we suspect, given the amount of active transition seen in December and so far this year, the actual number will be less than 1% of that 30 trillion sterling. I'll, I'll take a moment to give a quick reminder of the FCA's key messages on synthetic LIBOR rates. We've been very clear that synthetic LIBOR is only a temporary bridge to support transition to risk-free rates, and we must review its availability annually. When outstanding contracts that still reference a particular LIBOR setting have reduced significantly, it may no longer be proportionate for the FCA to require continued publication of that setting on a synthetic basis. To that end, you may have seen that we've already signalled for some time our intention not to extend synthetic yen LIBOR beyond the end of 2022. Um, we've also said previously that in sterling, um, the case for requiring continued publication of three-month sterling LIBOR was stronger than that of one month and six month. Hopefully, most people have seen the recent RFR Working Group, FCA and Bank of England statement, which noted that we will be seeking views this year on retiring the one and six months synthetic sterling LIBOR at the end of the year and on when to retire the three-month sterling synthetic LIBOR. I'd remind all firms um, that the synthetic settings, settings will not be continued simply for the convenience of those who could act but didn't. On US dollars, firms shouldn't be relying on a synthetic solution or the same legacy use permissions for a synthetic US dollar LIBOR as we've given for sterling and yen. We will stand ready to use our powers if it is feasible and desirable to do so, but firms shouldn't plan on that assumption. Thanks, Toby. And how about the progress in the US, Tom, on that legislative solution? It's it's slightly more complex and challenging journey, isn't it? Yes, I think one of the consistent things that we've seen across all the currency groups is that, you know, we largely all have a tough legacy problem, and every jurisdiction is trying to, I think, address that problem with their, uh, you know, with the tools available to them. So in, in the U.S., we've run a two-track uh, program where the ARC Legal Working Group has worked both on a federal and state-by-state -state legislation to ensure that we can do the best job in reducing risk to tough legacy uh, in the market. So first, the first uh, accomplishment was the New York State legislation, which was completed and signed into law last year, which covers a pretty a large portion of contracts that would be governed by New York state law. On, on the other track, uh, we've also had federal legislation, which has been working its way uh, through Congress over the past year or so as well. Uh, and additional to that, in other, in other state legislation, we have about nine states altogether who are also working their own version uh, of what looks a lot like the New York state legislation. So we wanted to ensure that under any circumstances that the ARC's legal working group who has just put a tremendous effort in to get all these work streams moving along. Long, we could ensure that we would cover a large variety uh, of all these contracts, if not all the contracts. So from a federal legislative procedure, uh, we're seeing this moving along pretty well. Uh, certainly the market has high expectations for, uh, for it to work its way through the system and become law. Uh, and our goal here is to ensure that from an ARC perspective that we are covering all the bases we can, knowing that to some degree
agree we're not in complete control of all these uh, all these outcomes. But if we can work across the states that we've got moving, if we can work across the federal legislation and take that over the ends uh, over the uh, over the finish line, I think we'll be in a really good position. So largely, I think the market is anticipating that the arc uh, and and certainly uh, legislators uh, in states at federal level will complete this work successfully, which would give us a, a, a different but quite similar uh, answer to tough legacy. And how about the global views on this, in particular the FCA's activities, Toby? As I mentioned earlier, um, while we have said we would consider the case for certain synthetic US dollar LIBOR settings, firms should not be planning for this assumption. Um, I can only speak generally about the interaction of the UK's framework with other legislative frameworks. The UK, US and also European authorities have always recognised the benefit of consistency in legislative solutions. So it was always the aim that there would be a complementary approach. The authorities agree that contractual governing law clauses should prevail and that we would not seek to override solutions written into contractual governing law. That said, there is some necessary differentiation given the different markets and legislative and regulatory frameworks. For example, the FCA, as supervisor of, of um, ICE benchmark administration, is in a unique position to act at source and provide a global solution. That's thanks to the new power provided under the UK's benchmark regulation. By aligning outcomes in the selecting of the same replacement rate via our respective legislations, we can solve most concerns about international coordination. And of course, lastly, we continue to work closely with the US and our other international counterparts, both bilaterally and through the Financial Stability Board's um, OSSG and IOSCO, to ensure a coordinated global approach to transition. So, keeping with the theme, let's talk about the US transition. 16 months ago until mid-2023, how are we doing and are we on the right track, Tom? Yeah, as we're only uh, you know sort of early days on on the no new LIBOR, but we've seen a you know over the course of the uh, last year a tremendous pickup in activity and so for you know the, the chosen replacement rates. So as we look at this next 18 months, certainly as we turned year end, we you know we, we were able to see uh, the great success that we saw in Sterling, Yen, Swiss franc, and we now are looking at how we can accelerate some of those things during this 18 month period. How we can get transitions to happen quicker clients to convert more quickly, knowing that many of the participants uh, were engaged in all these activities already, it should be fresh in their memory. So from our perspective, we're still working on the communications. Uh, we think that we could encourage remediations to begin uh, sooner as people begin to understand what it takes to actually work through these fallbacks and you know, how it might be much easier for those, uh, uh, those market participants to control their own destiny a bit and do those conversions sooner. So I think people have the playbook in place. They should be in a pretty good position to actually replicate what's happened in the other currencies. And we are just in a, just a unique position. The, the next 18 months for us, uh, or the 18 months, I'm sorry, since year end, really puts us in a position to leverage the roll down, draw on the examples that we've seen from other, other currencies, what we've seen here in the UK, to put ourselves in a position to reduce, uh, reduce the overall uh, number of contracts that, has to go through fall, that have to go through fallbacks, and reduce the amount of tough legacy uh, through this legislative work that we have going on. 
And are there any key lessons learned you'd encourage market participants to take on board from the Sterling side? Yes, I think what we've learned is, is communications is critically important. Uh, we've seen a big take up in software with, with, as the primary markets have developed, there's been uh, you know, a tremendous push. So as we go through this 18 month period, what we're learning is that more and more primary issuance means that market participants will already have SOFR exposure and, and largely have SOFR exposure. So they should be much more interested in, uh, in converting sooner rather than later. Uh, and I think, you know, we want to make sure we spend the remaining time as best we can. But with the lessons learned, certainly in the UK, are get those conversions done. The clearinghouses pl play an enormous role. Communication and outreach is, is, is critical. Uh, so we do believe, hopefully, people's experience in the UK transition will help us in the US to maybe get those remediations moving sooner rather than later. Brilliant. And, and Topi, would you have any, any comments from the UK slash the FCA point of view? Thank you, Laura. Um, the first thing I agree with Tom, that many parts of the journey for sterling um, and US dollars are the same, and that should give, give everybody involved in this next phase of the US dollar journey confidence that it can be successful and smooth too. Larger firms are obviously present both in the UK and the US, so they can learn from their own experiences. We often say there will never be as many experts in LIBOR transition as there are right now. So while it's fresh in your minds, please use that knowledge, reflect on your experiences and pass them on to make this even more efficient and successful for US dollar transition. For those that are more US dollar focused and are newer to this, find ways of picking up those valuable lessons. Events such as this definitely help. My key message would be not to underestimate the time and resource it takes to renegotiate contracts. So talk to your infrastructure providers, legal and accounting departments and the CCPs, your clients and I'm well in advance of the deadline. If there are product sets that may require bespoke solutions, you have the time to put these in place. But remember, it's important to act early. As Tom mentioned, new use of US dollar LIBOR should have stopped to crawl across all asset classes from the end of 2021, with limited exceptions for risk management purposes. This is a global expectation supported at the highest level by the FSB and IOSCO. The FCA has also implemented rules under the UK benchmark regulation, restricting new use of US dollar LIBOR in line with these global expectations. These came into effect on the 1st of January this year. Stopping new LIBOR business well in advance of the deadline was the approach we took here in Sterling, and that really allows firms to focus on remediating their legacy stock, which is arguably the more complex and time-consuming task. Overall, the principal lesson from Sterling transition is that this is very, all very doable. We've heard many times before, this can't be done. Systems won't be ready. Liquidity isn't there. Clients aren't ready. We need more time. But if we've learned anything from the LIBOR experience to date, it's simply not true. The biggest lessons the official sector will take away from experiences is that the market has categorically proved that it can overcome these challenges. So don't expect the cessation date for the remaining US dollar panels to shift from the end of June 2023, because we know that won't happen and can, transition can be done. Absolutely, understood. I apologize in advance. I'm sure you are tired of talking about this, but I have to quickly cover all two topics. 
Tolpi, what are the FCA's expectations on the use of CSRs? So authorities in both the UK and the US have warned publicly about the risks embedded in credit sensitive rates. From a UK perspective, you can just look at any number of Edwin Schooling Natter's um, recent speeches on transition to get a sense of our thoughts on this. But his six months to go speech is probably a good place to start for everybody. We've asked UK regulated firms to speak to us if they're considering using these rates. Additionally, we've outlined further concerns regarding suitability of these rates in products aimed at less sophisticated borrowers who might not understand the complex and relatively opaque risks. US authorities have been equally clear on these risks and that their initiatives have been SOFA first. Equally, the ARC's mandate is to help ensure a smooth transition to SOFA. We have seen as SOFA develops and from the experience in the UK that these rates are simply not required. So let's not repeat the faults of the past. We so don't want to have to do this again. Risk-free rates are safer and where global markets are moving. Thanks, Toby. Loud and clear. Uh, Tom, what about term rates? The arcs fee on those. So this was one of the uh, very few uh, differences that we've seen between the work across all the currencies. So in, uh, for U.S. dollar LIBOR, uh, particularly in the cash lending markets, we found that there was a, a, a real uh, demand and I think also a real impediment to this conversion if we couldn't develop a suitable forward-looking term rate uh, for those participants. So uh, as much as we at the ARC you know, certainly believe that the, the overnight compounded methodology uh, and, the, uh, and the averages that are currently used in the consumer market are, are probably the best choices. Uh, nonetheless, we, we felt that it was important that we were able to do the work. So uh, as we headed towards the uh, second half of last year, we worked uh, closely with the CME, who is now producing a forward-looking term rate uh, for SOFR, which is, uh, we also put that in tandem with a scope of use, which really kind of says a few things. The first thing it says, and the first key principle is that uh, we believe in all cases, overnight SOFR uh, is a better choice. Uh, we also believe believe that for particular markets that would have trouble uh, that would have trouble transitioning, term SOFR is available and should be used, largely in cash lending markets and loan market and other places. We also felt that there were areas where pr great progress has been made in using overnight SOFR compounded in the consumer mortgage uh, market, uh, floating rate notes and other parts of uh, the U.S. dollar market. And we felt that that should maintain, so that, that progress shouldn't go backwards. So we felt that the progress we made should continue. We felt that the areas that were really challenged, uh, you know, in some of those cash lending markets would have term SOFR available. So the ARC did endorse the CME's term SOFR uh, in the summer of last year. Uh, so we've really kind of put ourselves in a position that we've tried to make sure that the market has every tool it needs to safely transition to SOFR, which uh, uh, to echo Toby's point, we believe is certainly the most durable uh, rate with the largest subset of transactions by, by, by far uh, the best choice of the replacement for LIBOR. So when we put all that together, we wanted to ensure that across all the you know the diversity of markets and asset classes that everyone had a a form of SOFR that they could use to complete this transit transition safely uh, over the next few months so now we're seeing certainly term SOFR has picked up as a as the standard in the loan markets uh, we've seen the averages of SOFR being used and have been used for nearly for over a year uh, in the consumer uh, adjustable rate mortgage market uh, and obviously in derivatives markets floating rate note markets and others uh, overnight 
compounded sulfur has been the standard and will continue to be the standard. So I think this is the one sort of difference that we see in the U.S. Uh, for a particular set of asset classes that really required that forward-looking term. And at the ARC, uh, with the help of the CME, we were very able, uh, very happy to be able to accommodate that. Thanks. Um, Tom mentioned there have been some differences um, in different currencies. So what's the FCA's or the UK's view on, on term rates then? Just a reminder. Yeah. In UK derivative markets, um, Sonia compound in arrears is established as the preferred alternative reference rate. The bond market also proved quite quickly that forward-looking term rates were not necessary. Therefore, when the um, risk-free rate working group developed its recommendations on Sonia use cases, it really focused on st the sterling lending market. It concluded that Sonia compounded in arrears will and should be the market industry standard in most parts of the bilateral and syndicated loan markets, and that alternative rates would only be required for around 10% of new loan deals by value. And that's broadly what we've seen in practice. For example, some retail mortgages and SMEs may prefer to know the interest they owe in advance. However, we've always said that there were simplicity or payment certainty is a key factor. Fixed rates or the Bank of England's base rate may be preferred to term rates. The RFR Working Group also identified trade finance, working capital finance and Islamic finance as areas that may benefit from a forward-looking term rate. As outlined in our March 2021 LIBOR DCEO letter, firms should take into account relevant industry guidelines and recommendations when selecting benchmarks for use in products. And importantly, such guidelines should be followed for each LIBOR currency respectively, so the ARC guidelines will be relevant for dollar business. Finally, from a conduct perspective, I'd remind firms that you need, of course, to make sure that, that any replacement rates meet customers' needs and that customers understand the properties and implications of the rates they are moving to. Thank you both so much. Home straight, my last question. I ask this in every episode. What keeps you awake at night in relation to light bulb transition, obviously? Toby, if you go first, please. It's a good question. Um, had you asked me this question a year ago, I would probably have had a big list. Today, that's far less the case. I sleep pretty well. I'll leave you with a few key messages, though. Synthetic LIBOR is only a temporary solution. Don't expect the cessation date for the remaining US dollar LIBOR panel to shift from the end June 2023. This will not be the case. Transition can be done. Liquidity in US markets is evolving. In fact, it shifted towards SOFA already. Beware of that dynamic and how it'll affect you. And lastly, communication and preparation are the key to successful transition. As we approach June of 2023, uh we have th some things we'll have to experience in dollar LIBOR. We look forward uh, to sleeping well as well, Toby. Uh, from our perspective, uh, from the ARC, I think that the things that we would really want to focus on is uh, I've been involved with the ARC since its, its, its inception, and I've seen the work of our many, many working groups and the ARC members and the work of the official sector around the world. So I think the main thing I would call out and the things I think we want to be really, really focused on are completing every single work stream, not leaving any 
anything undone, making sure every door is closed and locked, uh, because we've really learned over this period that there has been uh, a, a remarkably stubborn uh, inertia to the status quo of LIBOR. And so as we work through all this, we want to make sure that we leave uh, no stone unturned, that we lock and close, close and lock every door, uh, because many of the things that will draw us back, and I think as Toby mentioned earlier, avoid the mistakes of LIBOR in every way, which means that for all of these working groups around the world, we need to finish this work right down to the uh, to the finish line to ensure that uh, that we've completed it all, because I do believe that anything that we leave open uh, most likely will be filled by more challenges and problems. So our goal really is close off the work, uh, make sure we complete every single work stream to its conclusion, uh, and avoid complacency, uh, and again, keep that communication going over the next, until uh, we get to June of 2023 for dollars. Thanks again for your insights, Tom and Toby. It was really good to have you here today, reinforcing the messages around LIBOR transition. I hope it won't disturb your sleep in the final months. And I guess we can conclude that we are heading in the right direction, but not quite there yet, still some work left to do. However, this is the last episode of the series. Thank you everyone for listening and joining in the conversations. If you have any questions, obviously please feel free to get in touch as usual. But for now, that's all from me. Many thanks again. <laughs>